Amen. Amen. There we go. So um, this is always a very special weekend for me. And I can't exactly say happy Martin Luther King Day, but maybe have a thoughtful Martin Luther King Day. Have a Martin Luther King Day that helps you make the world a better place. I do have a problem with this day, though. Not a problem with Dr. King or a problem with our nation making a holiday to honor him. But rather, I have a problem with how we create and use heroes. We lift up Dr. King, and rightly so, but Dr. King wasn't the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement was a movement, a a wave of action for dignity, justice, and basic human and civil rights that involved many, many people from many communities across the land. It started before Dr. King, and it continued after Dr. King. And yes, he gave voice so eloquently to the vision, and he paid for that vision by putting his life on the line again and again, finally becoming a martyr. But there were so many other people, great heroes that we should not forget. Of course, we remember that one moment of Rosa Parks sitting on the bus. But there was also Septima Clark, Ella Baker, and Diane Nash. There was also Bernard Lafayette, and James Lawson, and James Meredith. So many people, Fred Shuttlesworth, and Fannie Lou Hamer. If you don't know those names, it's worth doing a little bit of study this weekend to learn who some of these people are. You know, we may not know them, but they were all incredible heroes who should not be eclipsed because we just focus on one, Dr. King. These are some of the greatest heroes in American history. And as we think about heroic journeys here at Genesis, on this weekend we commemorate Dr. King's life and death. But I want to lift up another hero from that movement, John Lewis. And I want to take a faith look at the heroic journey that he took with other intrepid companions, namely the Freedom Ride. When what we can learn and apply about these journeys can speak to us powerfully today. Now, John Lewis grew up in a sharecropping family in the heart of the segregated South in Alabama. He knew the daily sting of racism. When he was a child, he read a comic book about Rosa Parks and Dr. King and the Montgomery boycott, the bus boycott. And so even as a child, he was stirred by these stories that, that caused him to know that he had to do something to make where he lived a more just place. Now, Lewis also grew up in the church. He read the Bible. His worldview was shaped in the context of the black church that resisted the persistent racism around them with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ who said that in him we could be free indeed. And Lewis believed that. He went to American Baptist Theological Seminary in Nashville And then he studied religion and philosophy at Fisk University. And that's where John Lewis's heroic journey began. 
Where does your heroic journey begin? You know, we so often live lives of place and community. There's, there's home where we know what is settled, for better, sometimes for worse. Maybe your journey begins at Hobbit Town. Maybe it begins in Royal Oak. You know, Martin Luther King didn't intend to be a great civil rights hero. He hoped to be a pastor of a good church and then, after a bit, go back to his, his alma mater, Boston University, and become a professor. You know, I hoped uh, to get my doctorate in philosophy and become a professor as well. Well, Lewis was on track to become a minister. And what, what is the cozy dream for you? What, what is the home from which God might call you to leave on a heroic journey? But there's something else besides home. There's something else that, that stirs us and that won't let us go. Sometimes we don't know what it is. Sometimes it's something that is beyond us but is bubbling in our times. And we may not be able to articulate it, but, but we feel these tentacles reaching toward us. For Frodo, it was the growing fed of Mordor. For me, it was an unease that, that the classroom wasn't my place. For Catherine Booth, it was the ugliness of the poverty in 19th century London. For, for St. Patrick, it was the lostness of those who had enslaved and abused him. And for John Lewis, it was the racist system of segregation under which he lived. Is there something stirring your soul in a disturbing way? Is it something that's inside of you? Is it something that's in our community, in our land, something that won't let you have peace? Is it something from outside that sweeps into your heart and mind? Is it God, perhaps, who is disturbing you? Well, then Gandalf walked into Frodo's home and everything changed. You know, that's a wonderful modern myth. I love it. But it captures the moment that comes to everyone who launches out on a heroic journey. You know, Jesus walked into the lives of Peter and Andrew and James and John. They were professional fishermen and they knew their business and evidently they did it quite well. But Jesus burst into their workplace and, and they were there down on the beach and he said, come, follow me. I will make you to fish for people. They had no idea where their journey would take them. But in that compelling moment, they knew they had to go. For John Lewis, his Gandalf was a young Methodist minister and activist named James Lawson. You know, that second hymn we sang uh, just before Connections was uh, from the Methodist hymnal. And I'm sure that James Lawson knew that hymn. James had come to Nashville to train people, mostly students, to challenge the structures of segregation. And Lewis was one of the first to sign on and quickly became a leader. Now, one of the things that's fascinating about the civil rights movement is how much it was based on Jesus. Lawson trained the students in nonviolence, specifically basing it on the Sermon on the Mount. Lawson said, when you are a child of God, you try thereby to imitate Jesus in the midst of evil. Which means, if someone slaps you on the cheek, 
you turn the other cheek, which is an act of resistance. It means that you not only love your neighbor, but you recognize that even the enemy has a spark of God in them, has been made in the image of God, and therefore needs to be treated as you yourself want to be treated. That was Lawson's core teaching, straight from Jesus. So how does turning the other cheek work out in segregated Nashville in 1960? Lewis taught the students the teachings of Jesus and then had the students role play, breaking segregation laws and then dealing with the violence of the police and the violence of the community toughs in the love and in the power of Jesus. It's very interesting how Lawson was doing what he was doing in teaching those students in a way that was similar to Jesus and how he mentored the disciples. Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, John, and the rest, as we mentioned. But notice how the Gospel of Mark puts the calling of the disciples. It says, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. Did you get where Jesus' work began with these followers? that they might be with him. Do you remember what Bo taught us last week about the missional communities of Patrick? They lived among the people and invited the people to join their community to be with them and see what Christ was like in action. And along the way of being with them, many became believers in Jesus. Well, Lawson was creating a community of resistance to the oppression around them. And he invited the students to be with him, to learn the teachings of Jesus, and to imagine what it would look like to live out those teachings in Nashville. And Lewis was front and center in that community. And when they marched to desegregate the lunch counters, Lewis was there in the front lines. He was one of the first in the paddy wagons. By the way, I am wearing this suit and tie to do this preaching. Because John Lewis always wore a suit and tie, even when he knew he could get beat up and go to jail. One of the things Lawson taught was about breaking stereotypes. And the white racist stereotype was that blacks were dirty. And so the black and the white nonviolent freedom fighters wore their Sunday dress-up clothes to many of their actions. Lewis kept up that practice, as you'll see in some of the photos as they come through. And so I'm honoring my hero today by bre breaking our tradition of, uh, here at Genesis of being casual. And I'm wearing my suit to preach. Amen, amen. By the way, it's okay to amen here. Now, with this basis of his faith in Christ, rooted in a community that was ready to put the teachings of Jesus into action against the systemic and pervasive injustice of racism in his day, John Lewis went on a journey, a heroic journey. The first leg was down the streets of Nashville, but then later he went on a greater and longer journey. After the success of the Nashville sit-in movement, in 1961, the Congress of Racial Equality, CORE, drew up a campaign to desegregate the interstate buses, Greyhound and Trailways, as well as the waiting rooms at the various bus stations along the way. 
Well, CORE put together a team of black and white activists who would ride together in violation of the law. By the way, the U.S. Supreme Court had ruled against the segregationist laws about interstate buses, but neither the local government nor the federal government did anything to uphold that Supreme Court ruling. They let all the racist system and practices stand, and so CORE decided to take on the quest of integrating the buses. And John Lewis joined them. They started in Washington, D.C. Were, there were only minor problems as they went through Virginia and North Carolina. But then in Rock Hill, South Carolina, Lewis tried to enter the whites-only waiting room. And he was attacked. He was beaten. He ended up in the hospital with a concussion and a serious head wound. And the Freedom Ride went on without him. In Anniston, Alabama, one bus was burned with Klansmen trying to hold the door closed so that everybody on board would burn to death. But an exploding gas tank drove them away so the, dry, the riders could get out of the door and escape. But they escaped into the Klansmen and they were beaten and, uh, severely until they were rescued by the highway patrol. They went on to Birmingham where the mobs and Sheriff Bull Connor brought everything to a violent halt with more vicious beatings. And it was the riders who went to jail, not the people who were beating the living daylights out of them. The freedom rides seem to have come to an end. And then John Lewis, who had rejoined the ride after Anniston, still with bandages from the hospital, he contacted his Nashville student activist friend, Diane Nash, and together, they resurrected the Freedom Ride, bringing more students from Nashville as well as James Lawson. Lewis said, we were determined not to let any act of violence keep us from our goal. We knew our lives could be threatened, but we made up our minds not to turn back. You know, the great sin of a heroic journey is turning back. Jesus said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And Lewis and the others weren't going to do that. They kept looking forward. And somehow they got that Greyhound bus out of Birmingham and they drove to Montgomery with an Alabama Highway Patrol escort ordered by the U.S. Attorney General and that, that caravan of the bus and the police cars drove at 90 miles an hour. This was before the interstate. It was a simple two-lane highway going from Birmingham to Montgomery. And then the journey intentionally changed. The Highway Patrol left the bus at the Montgomery city limits. And the police told the white tough guys that they wouldn't show up until a while after the bus had arrived. So the bus pulled into the Greyhound station in Montgomery, and there was a welcoming crowd of white men armed with baseball bats and chains and tire irons. And guess who was first off the bus? James Lewis, and his seatmate, a white man named James Zwerg. And they were savagely beaten. Lewis suffered another concussion. Zwerg was permanently physically damaged by the assault. Lewis remembers it was very violent. 
I thought I was going to die. I was left lying at the Greyhound bus station in Montgomery unconscious. What does it take to get off a bus and walk unarmed, threatening no violence, turning the other cheek, if you will, into a mob of people filled with hate towards you, wanting to do the most damage they can possibly do to your body. What does it take? I mean, that's incredible courage. But Lewis wasn't just doing that. He was doing it for the second time, having been sent to the hospital for having his head bashed a few weeks before. Lewis said, you cannot be afraid to speak up. And speak out for what you believe. You have to have courage. Raw courage. Sisters and brothers, where does such courage come from? For, for Lewis, there was no doubt. It was his Christian faith. He said, without our faith, without the spirit and spiritual bearings and underpinnings, we would not have been so successful. Lewis probably learned that growing up in Sunday school and in the worship services on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And that verse from Matthew 12 must have given him strength. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you're to say or how to say it. At that time, it will be given you what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Or is John the Apostle not John Lewis, John the Apostle, wrote, the one who is in you, the one in you is greater than the one who is in the world. John Lewis knew it wasn't the spirit of Jesus in the hate of those men holding chains and baseball bats, even if they went to church on Sunday, which some of them did. That wasn't the spirit of Jesus. He knew the Holy Spirit was inside of him. And so who was stronger? He knew that he had within himself a force more powerful than the force expressed in that hate-filled violence. He had the love of God. And so he got off the bus and took those blows again. It's been over 55 years since Lewis stepped off that bus. A lot has changed, but a lot hasn't. And each of us have our various journeys to take that at times will demand courage of us. And when you face something difficult, when you face a challenge that stirs your fear, that causes you to question, where do you go? What well do you draw from to get the strength that you weren't sure you had? What source do you turn to to get wisdom, to, to see the right way among all the competing messages out there? From what inner recesses of heart and soul do you draw the courage to, to stand up to old voices that belittle you or to new foes who ridicule you? Lewis said, before we went out on any protest, whether it was sit-ins or the Freedom Rides, or any march, we prepared ourselves, and we were disciplined. They prepared themselves with prayer and song. That's, uh, that's Lewis there in the corner there, singing up front with Guy Carawan, 
in church before hitting the streets. Sisters and brothers, as you get ready for your heroic journey, whether it's a short one, maybe even across the street to a neighbor or to come out and spend a night with the homeless, or whether it's a long one, you know, I've been asked to go join in a press conference. We're having problems with the water in Detroit and people getting shut off. You know, how do we stand with people who are being victims uh, right now? What is it, the journey that you're called for? As you go on that journey, get yourself grounded in prayer and worship. Get to know the one inside of you, the Holy Spirit of God, who is stronger than anyone or anything in the world. And learn to listen to his voice. Learn to discern his voice from among the competing voices. Learn to trust in his holy provision that he will give you in the moment what you will need in that moment. And then when the moment for courage comes, you'll know where to find it. You will know that it's not up to you, but rather by God's grace and the presence of God's Spirit, that courage is inside of you and perhaps around you with fellow travelers who are committed to the same way and rooted in the same God. You know, I've had a few moments of taking on journeys that were frightening to me. And I prayed and I worshiped. I remember one trip I took to Sri Lanka that was scaring me because of what I knew I was going to face. And I met right down here, and a number of you laid hands on me and sent me forth. You know, we need those kind of things. We need the community of prayer, the community of worship. But we also need to hide God's word in our heart and in our mind. And, and sometimes we remember the examples of others, people for me like John Lewis and Oscar Romero. These stories help me to step off the bus and face whatever I've got to face. So, sisters and brothers, may you arm yourselves for your heroic journey the same way. Listen to the call that God is stirring up inside you. Learn from your spiritual mentors as they show you the ways of Christ. And then launch out. Do what God calls you to do. Step off the bus, knowing that the one inside of you is stronger than the one in the world. I'd like to close with a song that was... One of the ones that, was, uh, that grounded John Lewis and those civil rights activists in what they believed as they acted in the face of evil. And I'm going to sing the verses, but I'd like you to join me in the chorus as it comes around each time. It's not going to be up there. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to connect like they did back then. But as we sing, note the Bible story and note the contemporary application. In the civil rights movement, they put... Together, the ancient story and their own story. And we need to do that today as well. So will you join me? Paul and Silas were in the jail. Had no money for to go their bail. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on, keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on, 
Hold on. That's the chorus. I want you to sing it with me. Hold on. Hold on. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on. Hold on. Try it again. Hold on. Hold on. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on. Hold on. Paul and Silas began to shout. The jail doors opened and they walked out. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on, hold on. The only thing that we did wrong was staying in the wilderness too long. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on, hold on. Now you're all singing like a bunch of Episcopalians. You know, in the freedom movement, they knew a lot was at stake. So they would sing that out. They'd get, you don't get the courage. But hold on. You know, okay, so let's try it. Hold on. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on. Hold on. Ain't one chain that we can stand. That's the chain of a hand in hand. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, keep your eyes on the prize, hold on, hold on. Freedom's name is mighty sweet, black and white are gonna meet, keep your eyes on the prize, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on, hold on. We fought jail and violence through too, and God's love has seen us through. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on, hold on. Got my hand on the freedom plow. Won't take nothing for my journey now. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on. Hold on. Amen.